Hello there and welcome to another episode of the Long Live Rock and Roll podcast. Joining me as usual is my right hand man, Mr. Felipe. Hello everyone. Um, we're not starting with a beer today. Got coffee. And so that's a quick made espresso, man. Yeah. It's, it's, it's Cheers, it. Cheers for you. Let's and get the episode started. Espresso. Yeah, today's episode, um, I'm leading the episode, if I he can is. say it like that. Yeah. Because it's about one of my favourite all-time rock bands. Uh, how many times have I said that? You know, how many favourite bands do I have? <laughs> and funnily enough, a band I'm actually not familiar with uh, yeah. in any, at all. And that's the other thing about the show. We like talking about stuff that uh, one of us doesn't know much about because yeah. that's how we get to, you know, find out uh, about new bands or old bands that yeah. we want to <laughs> uh, get familiar with. So we're going to talk about Yes. Yes? Yes. Sounds yes. good to me. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, yeah. to clear uh, up any confusion, the prog, the English prog rock band called Yes. Yes, exactly. <laughs> uh, but interesting thing, I want to start from the end, um, uh, from the, the the most relevant uh, current event. Um, it was. It, it's really sad that literally uh, um, yesterday, Alan White died. He was Yes drummer uh, for. God, for ages. He was oh, really? their drummer since the fourth album, if I'm not wrong. Wow. And also played with John Lennon. So Alan White is one of the most accomplished uh, rock drummers in history, for sure. And he sadly left this world uh, on the day before we recording this. I don't know when you guys are going to be listening to this, but it's a we recording on the day after Alan White's death. That's tragic. He died, yeah, he died at the age of 72 in America. Um, that's not bad that's a good full life isn't it yeah well he lived a great life isn't it he played imagine he played with uh, uh, John Lennon and Eric Clapton uh, was I a session guy as a session guy so yeah and George Harrison Uh, yeah so I'm going to start by telling uh, one of his stories because one really really remarkable thing about uh, Yes is the fact that every musician in the band could be playing with anyone they are like they would be the perfect session musicians for any any other musician or any other band, and they really, really are, are like uh, they fantastic players and fantastic performers who who happen to be in this amazing band. And yes, had no less than nineteen full time members. <laughs> Nineteen. Yes. Yeah, and how band. many would normally be in the band at one time? Five. Five. Okay. They, they had. So they had yeah. potentially four different lineups. <laughs> exactly. They actually wow. had a lineup with eight musicians, which is pretty much two bands together combined. Oh my God, yeah. yeah. Two drummers, two keyboard players, etc. But we're going to get into that. So to talk about uh, Alan White first. So uh, yeah, tell uh, us the story. Yeah. So he was a, a session musician uh, in the UK, and uh, he got invited by John Lennon to play a gig, and he first thought it was a prank. He's got this <laughs> phone call from John Lennon himself, saying... Hello, uh, hello Alan. How are you doing this evening? <laughs> <laughs> that's the last impersonation of John. Uh, so basically, John called him and, and said... Um, well, yeah, I think his wife called him, saying, oh, this is... A, guy named John on the phone I don't know a guy named John and he got the phone and he was like oh is John Lennon here I said oh really come on and and then <laughs> he you know he finally figured out it was actually John Lennon and John Lennon invited him for a gig said okay the gig is in two days or something and it's me and Eric Clapton uh, if you, and they rehearsed on the airplane no yeah because they had no time to get together in the studio so they rehearsed on the airplane 
and the uh, story goes that no one complained about people making noise on the airplane because we're talking about Alan White, John Lennon and Eric Clapton. So would you complain <laughs> no. if those guys were rehearsing? <laughs> no, you'd be uh, getting the same free flight gig, as you. Yeah. <laughs> it's a free show from like three yeah. of the best musicians and songwriters in the world. Yeah, and he also joined Yes in the same sort of condition. He joined the band... Uh, when they were really famous and he had three days to learn the set list and we're not Whoa. talking about learn two and a half minute uh, pop songs yeah. are we we're talking <laughs> anything between five and twenty minute songs exactly with time, odd time signatures key changes time changes bloody hell three days that's a yes that's a huge task that is that's, a, that's it's, it's, it's an amazing uh, uh, um, uh, like accomplishment again and he was Cool. He was famous for being just cool. Get like get into the the vibe, get the job done, yeah. and you know, and everyone was happy with him. So yeah, Alan White, one of my my favorite drummers for sure. I, I loved his style, like really solid groove, mm. and he was the one of the only members who stayed in the band with all those lineup changes. And here's the thing, though. What do you think about Yes? You're not very familiar with it. What do you think? What um, does what defines Yes for you? It's really interesting because, uh, funnily enough, prog seems to be the, the, the one uh, music genre that I haven't paid attention to, but only in the fact because, in the literal sense, I don't have time. The songs are so long that if I want to go and listen to a Yes album or a Genesis album or an Emerson, Lake and Palmer album, it's something you've got to put aside an hour for. I don't often have a free hour. Sometimes I can do a pop album in the car, you know, on the way to this, that and the other, you know. So, But with Yes... I found I enjoyed it a lot more than I thought I would, knowing that I was going into listening to a prog band. What I found, um, so Felipe gave me a few albums to listen to. You told me the essential ones were uh, Fragile, yeah, Close to the Edge, yeah. 90125. So I listened to the first two fully. I've listened to the highlights, supposedly, of 90125. And what I found interesting was that, especially with songs like Fra uh, with the albums like Fragile and Close to the Edge, the pure variety of music genres you're hearing within each song. Now, the time signature changes, the keyboard solos, the instrumentation used, it is prog music, that's obvious. But within those songs, I'd say in every song on the Close to the Edge album, each song had one section within the song that was funky, that you could dance to. Each, each song had one section which had vocals that could be in a pop song. Because yeah. lovely, easy melodies, beautifully sung, an accessible voice. And then the rest of the songs are all proggy and wonderful solos by Rick Wakeman. It just... It, 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 I was just surprised that there were so many agreeable moments in each song. Yeah. Because as you know with prog, as we said on the Emerson, Lake and Palmer episode, it can become what we call, in the music world, wanky. Which is <laughs> yeah. where you try and just play notes for the sake of it. But yeah, I, like self-indulgent Self-indulgent, but I was so surprised how... Like I said, I just I'm going to repeat myself. How accessible a lot of moments in each of the songs were. I think they managed to sound like soundtrack. A friend of mine in school said to me, "Oh, I don't like Yes because they sound like video game soundtracks." I said, well, <laughs> isn't that cool? Yeah. That you can that is cool. you yeah. can play something that is so hard to play, so musically complex. And it still sounds like a video game soundtrack, yeah. which means it's entertaining. You know, uh, I, I think it is. And there's something about it uh, we need to consider. How how can a band 
last for that long and change lineup pretty much every album, every two albums. You mentioned Fragile and Close to the Edge, and they are they were released one after the other. So that is the same lineup, and it's one of the the all. The, is that is that their classic lineup, isn't it? Yes, that's the classic. So I did do lineup. some notes. So that yeah, that, that, that lineup, lineup is. Um, do you want to tell us? Yeah, yeah, that's. Oh, yeah, okay, yeah, you know. Well, I, I would say to be honest that yeah, that's a classic lineup. So the classic the lineup, lineup would yeah. be John Anderson on vocals, Chris Quay on bass, Bill Bruford on drums, Steve Howe on guitar, and Rick Wakeman on keys. Right. That's it. So that is the famous classic. That is the yes famous, lineup. Yes, although shortly after Close to the Edge, yeah, uh, Alan White joined the band. So that lineup ah, right. probably did more stuff together with uh, the same lineup you just mentioned, but with Alan White instead of Bill Bruford. The interesting thing is uh, Alan White plays in a completely different style than Bill Bruford, and Tony Kay, who was the first keyboard player, is completely different from uh, 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 Rick Wakeman. And well, I, I did read that they got Rick Wakeman in because did you say Tony Kale? Tony Kay. Tony Kay yeah. was very. Um, Reluctant to play electric keyboards. Yeah, he Am was right more. Yeah, yeah, he, yeah, he was player? more into piano and Hammond. Yeah, right. He didn't want to do Moog. He didn't want to do uh, the synth. Yes, yeah, synth stuff. and all the more. So that's than, why more they Rick the Wakeman in, right? Exactly. So here's the thing. Uh, the, the what makes in, uh, the, the the history of years really interesting is the fact that they. They changed lineup so many times, but the music was still there, and there's still some sort of personality to it mm. that you know that stands the the, the survived uh, uh, the all the lineup changes and all the stuff that happened to them. So I, I'm gonna quote Rick Wakeman on this because there's a great documentary which I I have watched no joking about 20 times really? when I was young I was really <laughs> I was a fanatic for prog rock uh, so so yeah it was, I watched it in VHS but I recommend it it's called <laughs> Yes Years so buy the DVD and watch it because it's amazing so Rick Wakeman says this there could be a yes in existence way after I'm dead and buried in the same way there will be a New York Philharmonica or a Boston Symphony Orchestra how wow. cool is that? Well, that I mean, he's kind of explained it in that quote, that yes, is an orchestra performing pieces of music not necessarily written by the people in the band at that time. Exactly. And and music is forever. Exactly. As and long as you can play it, then there can be numerous different lineups and orchestras. And, yeah, and he's raising an important subject there. Shall a, uh, should a rock band uh, simply end when one of the you know classic uh, members dies or when you know mm. the lead singer the famous lead singer is not part of it anymore like can we have Pink Floyd without Roger Waters kind of stuff that people mm. keep saying uh, and uh, the answer seems to be yes yeah. <laughs> uh, because they st they're still around with yeah. different, different members and I would you know I would come to see them if, if I had the chance and uh, even imagine now? they all yeah even yeah. now imagine they all you know in 20 years from, from now no one is around most members died and yeah. they still um, and there's still a band officially under the name Yes, because mm. they currently have two bands under the name Yes. Uh, it's it's interesting, but uh, so if you still have a band officially using the brand, playing the classic songs, because in the end we want to hear what the classic lineup has produced. Yeah, yeah. And uh, if someone can play to that standard, why not call them Yes? Why mm. does it have to be a tribute band? As as any orchestra is still carrying the same name, uh, why? Can't we have that as a, as a rock band? That, that's an interesting point. I mean, I'm not, I'm, yeah, I mean, I'm not, 
Yeah. It, I find what, what's always interesting about it is that actually, in in not in my opinion, but from what I determine rock and roll to be, I would say, okay, rock and roll is keeping the same band, and ah, uh, well, if someone sort of drops out, well, then the band's not the same anymore. But yes, quite clearly contradicting that opinion I have. Yeah. Yet they are, in, in the proggy terms, as rock and roll as anyone. Because they had that philosophy that um, the music was above them. The music, the music was meant bigger. more than the person, than, yes. the, than the people. Yes, exactly. Well, so that's a huge statement, and it's something that I'm really inclined to agree with. Because again, you know, how many hundreds of years has it been since Beethoven and Mozart passed away? Yet and we still have people who we don't know the names of playing their music. Playing their music. Are they playing the way the original guys played? We don't know. No, you're right. With yeah. rock music, you can't compare because you have the records. But even though um, uh, it's still like the. Anyone who's going to play that music is going to add their personality. So another thing that um, has everything to do with this subject is uh, something that John Anderson said about the lineup changes, um, which I'm not going to quote like exactly as he said because I don't okay. remember. But it's from the same documentary. Uh, it, it's something that really, really uh, resonated with me. So he basically said. It's like you hop on a bus. Mm -hmm. and the bus is going somewhere, and you know where the bus is going. You know, you know the direction of that bus. Yeah. And you decide that you don't go, to, don't want to go there anymore. What do you do? You leave the bus, and someone else is going to hop into, into the bus, and they're going to follow the direction that everyone in that bus is following. So yeah. basically, what he's saying, the lineup changes like that. We are in this bus. The bus is going where it needs to go, and the person who joins us at that moment in time is more important for the project than the person that is leaving. Mm. And that's that's the truth. Someone is leaving, they're going to do something else, they're going to get into another bus, yeah. and we're going to do what we're doing. So they were really, really... Uh, uh, um, Can I tell you the word I would say? Well, yeah, practical. I was going to say confident. Confident. It's like, that okay, a, we need to move on. Especially you know? using that analogy, if he is really um, comparing yes to a bus and a destination, which I think is more than a fair comparison... He is saying what you've just said, which is the music matters more than the people. Yeah. Which is a huge, huge it's, statement. It's a, and especially it's in the music. Yeah, especially when you consider how accomplished they were as musicians. Yeah. They could be more self-indulgent, but they, right, yeah. they were actually not in that sense. Some people would say they were, but anyway, music press think, never liked yeah. them. You know, the, the magazines and, and the newspapers who, who had, uh, every time, you know, the, the, the music press was talking about yes they were very critical and they would say awful things about them being self-indulgent the songs being too long etc but rock and roll is musical freedom as we stated many times and that's what it is so um how did that start i mean the whole thing uh the the first two actual members of yes were, were chris squire uh bass player and John Anderson who's a singer who occasionally played acoustic guitar he played right. the thing is uh John Anderson plays loads of instruments mm. um, and he's a, he's a great composer, songwriter yeah. and he had loads of good ideas but he was working in a bar in London oh really? and yeah and Chris Choir played a gig at the old Marquee Club uh, we've just been Is to... Is that where we were? Not that one. Oh, right. We, we just had breakfast at uh, Montague Pike, which is the last uh, is the is the last incarnation of the Marquee Club. Oh, so that that uh, well, it's in Soho. It's still the same kind of postcode, same place. 
but not the exact same venue. But the Marquee Club is where um, Chris Quire was performing with the band and um, he was really good. The musicians were good, but the music was going nowhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, the so the guy who owned this bar where John Anderson worked said, do you know what? Said to Chris Quire, you're really good. You should get together with my friend John. He's, he's got some really good songs. And, that's how it and that was it. That's how they started. Fantastic. And, and they started writing stuff together and gathering musicians and trying to, 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 to find the, the best people to, to play that kind of music. And uh, so they, the idea was whatever they were doing was a natural progression from from the 60s sound from the Beatles and all that stuff now that's really funny because one of the notes I've made because I told you I'm not versed that well in prog music I all, all I'm doing all I've all I've heard really is I, I, I quite like prog metal yeah. so I listen to a lot of dream theater and opeth and stuff but prog as we know it you know the 70s yeah. where prog was starting to thrive I don't really know much about so the only ones I know a lot about now are yes because we're doing them now and Ellison Lake and Palmer and one thing I found really interesting comparing them was that Emerson Lake and Palmer if you removed the prog if, if you remove the progressive or prog rock label, what's the next label that comes after? For me, classical music. For yes, if you remove the prog label, what's the next genre after? Pop. Wow. I found, That's... when I was listening to yes, like I said when, uh, five minutes ago, I was hearing so many pop elements. And we chatted uh, before we'd done this episode about the album 90125, which I know yeah. you're going to go into more later. But that was the moment where you said, yes, actually took quite a step in making pop music. Yeah. And you can hear that. You can even consider that another, like another, a complete different incarnation of the band. Is yeah. they, some people call it West Yes. Because, <laughs> yeah, because they were based West, in America yes. and kind of, or whatever. But... The whole thing is that's a different. Yeah, but I just found it interesting you were saying yeah. they've taken the influences. But from even the though, it's still, you know why you when I say it's pop makes sense because uh, uh, Bill Bruford said they took loads of ideas from TV music, you know, like country music, pam 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 pam. That's uh, yours is no disgrace. That riff, he said it was like the kind of uh, cowboy movies. Kind of soundtrack or oh, wow. TV stuff. So they was were that the playlist. Yours is no disgrace. Yours is no disgrace. As usual, guys, this will all be on the uh, on the playlist at the bottom of the show notes. So if you want to listen along whilst you're hearing this episode, or listen after or before, then uh, yeah, so, the playlist will be at the bottom of the show notes. Yeah, so I think it's relevant to say how how the the, the classical lineup, the classic lineup, uh, came together. So basically, um, when uh, um, Chris Quiet joined uh, John Anderson for songwriting stuff. He was working with a guy called Peter Banks on guitar in his band, so he brought him in to, to, to join the band. So the first uh, um, the first lineup would include Peter Banks on, on guitar. And then they got Tony Kay on, on, on keyboards and Bill Bruford on drums. Bill Bruford put an advert on the Melody Maker magazine and... Um, and he was looking for a band. And he, I think he said something like, jazz drummer looking for a band. <laughs> uh, he was into jazz, and he, he always uh, considered that jazz is like the most um, interesting, complex way of you know expressing yourself musically. That was his thing. It's always been his thing. And he said, <laughs> I don't remember calling them. I think they got in touch with me because I put an advert. It's kind of I wouldn't get in touch with anyone. <laughs> yeah. So Bill Bruford uh, was contacted by the other members and joined the band. 
Uh, so as you said, you had Tony Kaye playing like ma mainly piano and Hammond, and you have Bill Bruford as a jazz drummer, <laughs> and you have Chris Squire <laughs> and John Anders with classical music influences and Beatles vocals and yeah. kind of stuff. And it's a lovely blend. It, it all comes it, together. It is. Uh, so the first rehearsal was not far from where we are now. They rehearsed in Shaftesbury Avenue oh, in June of uh, 1968. So, so like, for those <laughs> listening, I know we always tell you normally where we are. Where we are. I think I think the listeners, Philippe, have now figured out that when there's car horns, scaffolding, people talking, <laughs> banging, we're in Soho. We're That's in the busy, it. beautiful Soho. When there's <laughs> tractors... Birds singing. We're in the countryside at my place, aren't we? It's exactly. fantastic. <laughs> what a contrast. So right. if it's quiet in the background, you know we're recording at mine in the country. And if it's got the hustle and bustle of London, then we're at Felipe's in Solo. Um, so they just recorded down the road. Yeah, rehearsed, I, I, you said. I, I would, yeah. Yeah, so yeah, literally, wow. like uh, Shaftesbury Avenue is about five minutes walk from here. So they were rehearsing it at the basement of a cafe. Amazing. Uh, yeah, <laughs> how cool is that? And uh, so the name came up in a conversation where John Anderson said, well, Why don't we call the band Life? They wanted like one word. And then Chris Quire said, World. And then, uh, 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 what's his name? Uh, the guitar player, Peter Banks, said, Yes. Because he was agreeing with, with Chris Quire. I said, world. And I said, yes. And they said, oh, that's good names. I said, no, I just said yes. Yes, yes. And that was it. So that, so that isn't that part of like the band's uh, uh, natural uh, uh, creativity? You know, they're very spontaneous with, with uh, coming up with ideas yeah. and mixing them up. So they had, uh, according to, to Bill Bruford, uh, he would stick to his jazz roots and play a jazz beat underneath whatever the other guys were doing. So they had vocals in the style of the Beatles and like vocal harmonies and stuff. And he would just keep what he thought was a jazz beat, or or he, he was he was intending to do that. Mm. So uh, so basically, that's again total musical freedom. They didn't care about the, like they wanted a good final result, a good song, but they wouldn't be worried about labeling that. Oh, it has to be more country, or it has to be more folk. No, no, we're just mm -hmm. gonna play. And one uh, big issue for them at the beginning was they they, they were recording different parts of songs, uh, like playing live, but playing just one section of a song, and that's it. Next day they record another one. So they spent a lot of time mixing, and they would have to learn the songs afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> so they never yeah. actually played songs start to finish until the album was ready. So right. they were doing. And yeah, so but it's a huge achievement to take that to a live setting and play that music. Isn't live. it what it's... Queen did with Bohemian Rhapsody? They recorded the part separately and then it came together. They, they had to learn the song. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, so the first album called Yes was released in August 1969 by Atlantic Records. At the time, the record labels were owned by record collectors and they didn't care. Oh. It's like they did didn't give a flying fuck yeah they were like play your thing yeah and now we'll release it because i don't know if it's going to sell or not i don't care yeah you're the artist so so 
so Atlantic Records would give them the freedom to do that kind of stuff. So the first album came out, then they released... What a lovely world that would have been. Oh, I think, man, of, that, I think that. of that Simpsons episode where the guy's like, um, can you imagine a world without lawyers? <laughs> and then he goes to the dream and everyone's holding hands and there's a peace sign everywhere. Can you imagine the music industry without record label executives? <laughs> Just everyone strumming guitars and having fun. Exactly. Um, but yeah, and, no, that would have been and, great. And it wasn't a commercial music anyway. They sold millions of copies. So yeah. it makes us think about oh do we need to fit music into this these uh, boxes of oh this is pop this is country this is rock yeah. I mean they didn't have that concept at the time and so so they released an album after that called Time and the Word which is a great album as well and that's where Peter Banks decided to to leave the band because he wasn't happy uh, well many reasons but one of them he wasn't happy with the use of an orchestra in one of the songs Ooh, so that's interesting why is that because people had again they had a, an idea in their mind so that's the kind of music I was like I'm, I'm into rock music there's no orchestra in rock music right so especially Chris Choir and John Anderson they were like we need to be creative we need to uh, push the boundaries as much as possible so anyone who wouldn't agreed to that concept of being always creative, always exploring new ideas, would be kicked out of the bus. Or would naturally yeah. leave the bus. Because <laughs> then, yeah. Because, you know, I don't want to do this. Because then it would work together. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So the, the album charted on uh, number 45 wow. uh, in the UK charts, which is pretty good. On is that the, the second album? Yeah. Then wow. the, Well, actually, yeah, that was the second album. But they recorded the Year's album still with uh, Peter Banks on guitar. Can, any uh, of those first two albums, any songs for our listeners? Any uh, classic? Do you know what? The first one, I'm not really a big fan. <laughs> <laughs> but, is there, but is there any, is there any song before, that is Beyond known? and Before, Yesterday and Today, those songs are good. But yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Because there's a song, there's no, I was expecting this song to be in the album, to be honest, but it's not here. Uh, is it No Opportunity Needed or something like that? I forgot the name of the song. It's a cover song they played live. They did a really cool live version, but I think oh, it's brilliant. not on the, on the first album. Now, if we go into the second album, Time and a Word, the song Time and a Word is fabulous. Yeah, No Opportunity Needed, No Experience Necessary, I think that's the name of the song, which okay. is a cover. That's on the second album. That's it. I don't know much about the first one. Uh, so Time and a Word and No Opportunity Necessary... Uh, which are songs from the second album, uh, Time and a Wood, are the ones I recommend. In those terms. Uh, Brilliant. Be in the playlist. I'll, I'll, yeah, I would say those mainly, okay? So the, they found their sound for real uh, on the Yes album, which is the third album. Here's an interesting thing. If you buy the album today, you're probably going to see uh, Steve Howard in, in the album cover, but Peter Banks recorded... Uh, if I'm not well, wrong, all of it. But he was, or he, Peter Banks was still, I, I need to confirm who actually recorded the guitars, but Peter Banks was still in the album cover uh, for the UK version, and they have Stephen Howard from the American version. Oh, yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. No, it's actually Stephen Howard on guitar. Really let, me, cool. let me confirm that, but Stephen Howard on guitar on this album. for the first. That's the first album with the classic lineup, really. And it's where we have those sections of songs mixing mixed together, and the interesting thing about them having uh, having Stephen Howard is like, okay, now we have a guy who is not afraid of playing with an orchestra. 
<laughs> as a guy who's not afraid of experimenting and he had this vast knowledge of acoustic instruments he, he owns hundreds of acoustic guitars from different countries different uh, you know tunings and different stuff yeah. so he and he would experiment with them those things and record them so from the years album uh, yours is no disgrace is the the, the the first track okay. the album and is one of the best tracks the clap is just Steve Howe on guitar. It's a solo guitar piece and it's a masterpiece. So it's all about him, really. There so was a few got... songs like this over the albums I listened to where there was just two minutes of Steve Howe just playing beautiful like, acoustic guitar. That He, he mentions the, the fact that he wanted to play acoustic guitar with a band. Was at the time, because of you know performing live, would be really hard to amplify an acoustic guitar. Yeah, suppose, Every yeah. time a band would come up with guitar, acoustic guitar parts, like the whole band stops, there's a bit of acoustic guitar. So they would use that in studio, like, oh, just let's focus on the acoustic guitar, and then the whole band comes in. But he was also willing to have the acoustic guitar with the band, uh, which happens in Roundabout uh, on Fragile yeah. album, if you listen to it. But, yeah, so I recommend a few songs that I, I think everyone should listen to. Actually, the whole year's album is just beautiful. But Yours No Disgrace, The Clap and Starship Trooper. The, and I've seen all good people. The f first four songs of the album, they're like perfect. Brilliant. It's like... I did listen to That's Starship it. Trooper the other day and it was really nice. I thought there were so many lovely variations in the melodies and the structure as well. Um, what else did I write about that song? So what I did is I listened to, uh, first of all, I went onto Yes's Spotify profile and they have the most popular songs. And I listened to the first eight and they were Owner of a Lonely Heart, Roundabout, I've Seen All Good People, Love Will Find A Way, Changes, Sweetness, Long Distance <laughs> Runaround, Leave It, and then Starship Trooper. What was interesting is that out of those first, what is it, eight songs, Starship Trooper was the first one that had a solo in. Really? It was, or... I mean, some of the stuff Rick oh, yeah, Wakeman yeah, does... Oh, yeah, 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 Well, some of the stuff no, Rick Wakeman it. does is solo-y, but... It was solo -y as, a so yeah, <laughs> as a solo, there was a dedicated portion of time given to an instrument, uh, given to a member to show their skills. Yeah. Starship Trooper was the first one I heard. Now, it was just very interesting because something you associate prog bands a lot with is the soloing and the wankiness, as we said, and being able to show off. But I felt, yes, were so tasteful when it comes to their take on prog. It wasn't about the wankiness. It wasn't about the soloing. It wasn't about, you know, the virtuoticness of their instruments. It was just beautiful well, music. now that you mentioned that, one of my favourite things about uh, Heart of the Sunrise, which is a great song, is the fact there's no solos. It's like 11 minute long song. Yeah. And that was a lot it's, of yeah, to, yeah, yeah, and it's, it's not because it's not like the guitar doesn't do something interesting. But everything they do is melodies. Yeah. It's like a proper composition, like an orchestral uh, piece all the time. So, uh, um, and obviously the whole, so I, I think that's where uh, uh, the whole thing actually started. So uh, clarifying what I said, you had uh, Peter Banks up to the second album only and Stephen Howard played every single track on um, the Yes album. So that's where the classic lineup started from. And I recommend again, listen to yours, no disgrace, if you have time to listen to one song. And it's fantastic. The, the album charted number four in the UK and 40 in the US, which was Ooh. pretty good. So then from that point onwards, Yes becomes a famous band. Let's put it like that. So obviously there's more money coming in, they can experiment even more. Yeah. <laughs> and then Tony K 
uh, get signed. Again, no, I, I need to correct myself here. It's not the classic lineup because we still haven't got Rick, Rick Wakeman. Wakeman yeah. He gets into the picture right now when Tony Kay gets sacked from the band for the reasons you've mentioned before. He didn't want to experiment with the new keyboards and synths that were coming up at the time. Uh, so again, listen, the same reason for Peter Banks to be sacked from the band was the reason he used to sack uh, Tony Kay. It's like, you're not experimenting enough yeah. we well, want more yeah you're not you're not you don't you're want to go really. where this bus is going exactly yeah. and, and and we're always going forward we're always going to a new territory mm. that's maybe that's it that defines yes there's always some sort of new territory we don't want to get stuck with what we did in the last album so Tony K uh, Tony K said it was a very kind of friendly departure that he, he wanted to do something else and they saw Rick Wakeman playing with a band that was supporting them live, and they were like uh, really impressed with his skills. Uh, Rick Wakeman. Hard not to be impressed by Rick Wakeman. Isn't yeah, I mean, the, what did you know about Rick Wakeman? You told me you knew him before you, um, you he heard did about an album about like medieval. Is it what's it called? Is it Knights at the Round Table or something like that? No, he, he did a... Yeah, there's one about... Yeah, about something like that, Arthur isn't it? And, King Arthur, yeah. yeah and the um, I just know he's a phenomenal keyboard player. He's guested on a few bands that I like albums. I don't know what they are. Um, I just know the guy as being the keyboard wizard. That's Honestly, it. Honestly, you know, you talk... You There's a few people you put in the sentence with him. Maybe Keith Emerson, uh, John, John Lord, Lord yeah. and um, Rick Wakeman. You know, they are the three prog keyboard masters, aren't they? Yeah, you don't have that many people who can do that kind yeah. of stuff as, as he did. I think uh, the interesting thing about him is he was already doing sessions for uh, uh, David Bowie, Elton John, Cat Stevens, uh, T-Rex. Cat Stevens is one of my favourite <laughs> artists. I didn't know he played for Cat. Yeah, he played with all those guys. Oh, and when, when they first called him, he said, no, I've got too many sessions and no one joining the band. I don't want to be in bands anymore. Imagine turning sessions down, yeah. And the, the, the funniest thing is he joined the band uh, for, like, they, they convinced him to come and rehearse and he said on the very first rehearsal they came up with Roundabout and Heart of the Sunrise. Wow. Like, as a jam. <laughs> Do you know what? That's really interesting. Talking about that, I did want to talk about, so I've made notes about when I listened to the Fragile album. When, again, like just just for listeners, my reference to Prog is Emerson Lake and Palmer because this is the extent of what I know Prog. Comparing it to Emerson Lake and Palmer, yes, and the album Fragile, it had so many more jamming elements yeah. than organised Prog. There are sections of the song Roundabout where I thought. Well, hold on now. Like the, the the bass and the drums have just let loose, and now they're going on this little jam. And then uh, Steve Howe comes in with this cool riff somewhere. You can tell the music was organised. Yeah. As you mentioned in the studio, that the amount of time they spent mixing it. Yeah. But the I'm talking about the music as a product, the album. Yeah. But the music, in musical terms, feels like a band jamming. It's quite loose, isn't it? It is, and it doesn't feel as organised as I would normally label prog to be. It's rather fragile. Uh, (laughs) I think if we're talking about Emerson, Lake and Palmer, and yes. Yes. Emerson, Lake and Palmer seem organised. The the, the music they play is very, very technical, and... You, I can imagine them being in the rehearsal room, being in the writing room, saying, right, after this section, we need to go here. And what we're going to do is we're going to do these notes here. Whereas with Yes, I feel like it's like, okay, Chris and um, Chris and Bill, why don't you just groove for a bit and we'll see what we do. That's what it feels like. It does like sound like it hearing. started like that, doesn't it? Even it does. when, they, when they get to a final form of a song. Yeah. 
It still feel like, feels like they, they were jamming at least when they were writing it. Uh, I, think, a, I think that's reflected in the song. Yeah, yeah. I feel How, like they've left the best parts of the jams in the songs. Totally. I mean, um, on Fragile, there's an interesting point you're talking about, uh, you know, being loose and being able to play whatever you want. There's, there's five solo tracks in the album. You might not even have noticed. But I mean, by solo tracks, is each of, of the, the band members created and organized the song by themselves. They might have other band members playing them, but I think it's mainly like uh, one musician playing his ideas. So there's one song written by Bill Bruford, one by um, uh, Rick Wakeman, another one by John Anderson, and then Chris Choir and Steve Howe. Yeah. So they all did solo pieces in the album. And it's like, it's half of the album. Yeah, Half of the album is done as a solo uh, thing and it still sounds like a band the whole I, I did actually read that on my notes you're yeah. right half of the album was written as a band and the other half was each other half every, is, every yeah. took a song and it was the first album it's an important point it was the first album where Roger Dean the, the art for the cover he came up with the logo and the whole visual concept for the tours and that you know um, they carried on working with him for years and years I think visual visual um, what word did you use visual Concept? Yeah, the visual concepts for a band, especially a prog band, is so important. Because when you go to see a prog band live, it's a long it's a long experience, isn't it? Because, yeah. you know, when you think of going to see a pop band, I saw the Killers are in England, you know, they're this week doing a tour. Um, you think how many songs the Killers have where audiences can sing along to the choruses, the singer can sing the first line and give the mic to the audience for the second line. It's an immersive experience yeah, seeing a yeah. pop band. Yeah. Seeing a prog band is like going to watch a movie at the cinema. You have to pay attention, and it matters if you're there from the start. It's and like going to end. watch a three-hour movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it is because, but, but visually, if you're going to watch uh, five men pe- play technically challenging music, you can expect for their performance to be of a lesser degree. I don't expect Steve Howe to be headbanging and throwing no, his yeah. hands up in the air during the technical side. So, so they, you have to bear with them. You have to say, yeah. I'm in this for the long haul. And that's where <laughs> I think that... No, I'm just saying that's where the visual concept comes in. Because whilst you're not watching the men headbang, you're seeing the beautiful visual concept that Robert Dean... Rob, Roger? Roger Dean. Roger Dean came up with. Yeah, yeah. And just and a little something I want to say. Cause I, w- I was watching some videos of Tool, the metal band Tool play the yeah. other day. And they're the same. They're heavier... They're a heavier prog they band, pro, yeah, pro, but their visuals yeah. are fantastic. And it's probably inspired by the oh, 60s and 70s. Oh, yeah. Because yeah. yeah. what you have, like, uh, so basically everything you do visually in the show is to enhance the music. It's more, again, it's more about the music than the musicians. Yeah. Exactly. Although everything they do individually is really hard to play. Yeah. Interesting, isn't it? <laughs> so, uh, um, so they charted number seven in the UK with with uh, Fragile. So going back to the to, to the timeline, we kind of we we we're very loose with the approach of the show. We don't want to. It's not a history lesson. Mm. Uh, so uh, uh, you know, but I, I want to go through some of the important moments in their history, and they. So as I said, they charted seven in the UK and fourth in the US and that was a big deal roundabout mm. was was a hit for them for you know prog rock fans and uh, that that was that took them into a natural next step which is uh, close to the edge is, a, is an album with only three songs and two of my favorite songs uh, by years are on that album 
and it's just the, the the title song "Close to the Edge" is a masterpiece. And have a listen Beautiful. to that. Beautiful, yeah, I listened to that yesterday. Is is, is wonderful. There's yeah. just so many. It's it, it's three songs within a song. Yeah, <laughs> it's like, but it's, it's beautifully executed. And well, one one issue I have with prog music, and actually, to an extent, it's not just prog. It can be prog metal or just yeah. uh, long metal. You know, that don't have. Um, uh, it's when you're writing a long song. For me, there has to be. Uh, legit, not legitimate. There has to be a logical movement from one part of the song to another, yeah. and I feel sometimes prog music is guilty of, okay, well we finished this section. What should we do next? Oh, uh, uh, bit in seven eight in a different key. Let's go for it. And then as a list, I'm sat there going, well, hold on. It didn't really make sense to go from that part of the song to this part of the song. Yeah. You needed something in between, in my opinion. But yes, when I heard close to the edge, it was just one long eighteen minute. Masterful, masterful piece of music. It is. And everything made sense. All the transitions were logical, going from one part to another. Seamless um, execution from the musicians. The musicianship is stunning. It's as, a wonderful album. As simple as it sounds, uh, Rick Wakeman defined what they were doing as a, um, a search for emotion. Really? And he said every time someone criticised them, they, he said, we, we, we're going to prove that we can do better and we, we're going to do what the critics don't like, which is emotion. So he, <laughs> so he said, and, doing, and you and I, which is a beautiful song from Close to the Edge, is, is that, is the ultimate achievement in terms of delivering yeah. emotion in a prog rock song. Uh, I, don't, I don't even know if they would consider themselves prog because prog <laughs> musicians never say that. But anyway, yeah. um, so that was the point. An interesting point about Close to the Edge is, is when Alan White first joined the band without joining the band. Uh, Bill Bruford wasn't uh, present in one of the recording sessions and he jammed along with them. Mm-hmm. So he was there, he was a session guy, everyone knew him from, you know, the work he did with John Lennon and all the stuff. Mm. And he came up and, he, and, and he, he played a couple of songs, he jammed, and they, they, they said it was so natural, he was so, such a friendly guy, easy to work with. And obviously they had a few options when Bruford decided to leave the band and they said, well, let's go for Alan White, who mm-hmm. already jammed with us and it sounded good. Yeah. And uh, Bill Bruford, again, listen, Bill Bruford thought, yes, wasn't... Uh, challenging enough for him it wasn't it's a jazz drummer jazz drummer isn't it but, but, that's, I can understand that from a jazz you know looking at him as a jazz but drummer. he wanted to go even more down to the prog really? yeah, yeah so he went <laughs> he joined King Crimson <laughs> oh, right. so, yeah. I was, gonna, I was no. just going to ask you where do you go from yes to get more prog King and there was only one more answer yeah <laughs> King Crimson exactly that he wants to experiment so, yeah. even more I think so something interesting it. I found about the members is the classic lineup. so it was always yeah. I said this to you earlier before I knew who yes were I knew who they were if yeah. that makes sense. Yeah. I'd heard of Steve Howe on his own. I'd heard of Bill Bruford on his own and Chris Squire and Rick Wakeman. John Anderson was actually the one gentleman I hadn't heard of. But it's only when I did my research this week that I was like, oh my God, Steve Howe gets oh, Bill Bruford. 
Chris Squire. Yeah. It's like, it's like, like yeah. all these guys I know of. Yeah, <laughs> because because they're so they're, their names are so big and, and this is what industries. Yes has done for them. Yeah, exactly. Although they've done it for themselves, but under the under the guise of Yes. Yeah, and that's why guys like Rick Wakeman kept coming back to the band. He <laughs> yeah. left the band so many. I I, I can't keep count of it. Really? He probably have left the band about ten times and joined them back. Wow. It's like because it's like he, he always felt comfortable playing with them. So it's like if I ever want to be in a band, it's going to be Yes. He's a guy who, who, who likes his solo stuff. So um, so basically, those two albums, if you want to... Because, uh, um, I mean, the, the, the three albums with the... the Not the classic lineup, because you still have Tony K on the on Yes album, but the three albums you have to listen to is the Yes album, Fragile and Close to the Edge. It's one after the other, and you can see where they're going with their music. Yeah. Uh, after that, they, they released a live album called Yes Songs, and then they did Tales from Topographic Oceans, which, according to Rick Wakeman, not the exact words, but he says too much wanking in the album. <laughs> he didn't. He didn't want to go that way. Uh, he thought it was, it was a bit too much. He didn't like the direction. Also, on his twenty-fifth birthday, his first solo album achieved number one. Wow. So he said it was a really, really uh, strong feeling. You've got your solo album reaching number one. Yeah. And you're leaving the band that you love and you've played with for two amazing albums. So he's special, yeah. Yeah. So he left the band to focus on his solo career. Uh, also, he was spotted eating a burger whilst everyone else in the band was vegetarian. Uh, I, don't know, I don't know how much relevant sacrilege yeah uh, but yeah so he he, he quit the band or they kicked him out I don't know but he left the band and his first solo album is called Journey to the Center of the Earth and that's the one I love that of yeah no, that's that fantastic, is yeah. a masterpiece and they had like so we, we can't really go through all the lineup changes I want to just give a few names that were relevant one of them was Pat Moraz uh, Swiss piano player, keyboard player who joined after uh, um, uh, Rick Wakeman left. So they released an album called Relayer, which is kind of more jazz fusion okay. compared to what they did before. And guess what? They sacked the guy and hired Rick Wakeman again for the next album <laughs> called Going For The One, which I totally love. I think it's a beautiful album, really, really good. And so that was that. number one in the UK and number eight in the US. The song Going For The One is amazing. The, the, the title track and uh, Turn Of The Century as well from the same album. Uh, it's the brilliant songs. I totally recommend. Loads of really good acoustic work. Excellent. And the the vocal harmonies in this album. Are I love it. Well, there we have the playlist. The uh, one playlist. album that is really important to talk about is the one you mentioned. I don't know where... Where we're getting that on your no, notes. No, we're going to get there, yeah. I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm kind of following the notes, but I'm just like... Um, well, it's important. No, this is good, man. Because, yeah, no idea I, I journey, needed, it's really I, nice to I, hear. Yeah, I needed to organise the ideas for this for this specific episode because the, the Yes has done so much. I think it's 22 studio albums. Wow. As I said before, 19 musicians. And it's... It, An how, extensive yeah, career, isn't and it? And we want to give people the... The, a, an overall idea of what Yes is all about. Yeah. So you do your research and listen to it and go for the albums. But so basically, uh, uh, there's a there's an interesting transition from that prog rock music into pop music. So Yes becomes a complete different band in the late eighties. So they did a couple of albums after that, and uh, to a certain point, uh, 
they, they reached a, a certain point where Steve Howe, uh, Chris Squire and Alan White were looking for a heavier sound, kind of more hard rock stuff. And at this point, Rick Wakeman leaves again. And John <laughs> Anderson leaves with him. So they did an album called Drama uh, with Jeff Downish and Trevor Horn. So Trevor Horn was the singer, Jeff was the uh, keyboard player. They were in another band, they, they had a few hits and they just joined uh, Yes. And the thing with Trevor Horn was he was a big fan of John Anderson and he struggled to be John Anderson live, to yeah. sing the old material. So uh, he just finally decided to become a producer and he played a big role as Yes producer. Wow. So he was a singer for one album and then he became the producer. So, But the band kind of splits in December 1980 and... That's really interesting. Chris Choir and Alan White, they joined Jimmy Page and started a band called XYZ, which wow. means X, yes, Zeppelin. Uh, <laughs> so the band went Brilliant. nowhere. They didn't find a singer. They were not happy to do just instrumentals and they didn't release anything at oh, all. Oh, well, they tried. They tried. <laughs> they gave it a go. And then uh, they end up finding a guy called Trevor Rabin, who is an essential member of this pop phase of the band. So he joined Squire and White and brought Tony Kay back into the band. The band was called Cinema. <laughs> wasn't Yes, it was a new band. So that's why they were even more free to do whatever. And they became a pop band naturally. So you got this uh, young, good-looking uh, uh, um, shredder on guitar, like fantastic guitar player. Sounds like Van Halen. It's like fantastic... A uh, great musician called uh, Trevor Rabin, and he was in charge of it with Trevor Horn, the former singer, producing. So the the album Nine Hundred One Two Five, which the name of the album came from the the, the catalog serial number. Um, <laughs> Brilliant! I was wondering uh, yes, it's, yeah, and it was their biggest selling album, three million copies in the U.S. alone. Uh, wow. So from that point, so the the. The, the number one hit they had was uh, uh, Owner of a Lonely Heart. Loads of people who are not familiar with Yes, they know that song. Yeah. It's a pop song. I didn't know it was Yes. I knew the chorus, I didn't know it was Yes. Can we do a segment here? Yeah, Can sure. Can we do a Felipe Unleashed? Let's do it. Right here, ladies and gentlemen, time for Felipe Unleashed. <laughs> Owner of a Lonely Heart is a great song. And yes, was a fantastic pop band. <laughs> That's the unleashed. That is because the prog rock fans hate the pop era, and I think it's just so. Did you purposely brilliant. say the opposite of what yes fans would normally say? Yes. Oh, uh, <laughs> Owner of a Lonely Heart is a shit song, and yes, are a prog band. Is that what the yes fans yeah. would say? Excellent, yeah. brilliant. <laughs> I mean, we don't want we don't want this episode to last forever, so I'm just gonna. Uh, uh, just quickly, though, it's a lovely song. It's a fantastic pop song. Yeah. But I still feel you have the yes personality in there. You do it's because just, it's it's prog pop. Yeah. One well, pop. One thing I want to add to this, just in terms of where I heard yes sort of going after this. Yeah. Um, there were three bands who, when I listened to this to these Yes songs, came to my mind. Band number one, Supertramp. Do you know Supertramp? Right. Yes, I know them. Yeah, yeah. they just are just the poppy prog side, yes, isn't exactly. it? Prog the second pop. band that came to my head, and this is after hearing the more poppy songs of Yes, Toto. There you go. Just that eighties kind of synth-based stuff. Very agreeable melodies, three-part harmonies, very structured, very organised. 
And the third band, and this is actually just because of one song, Jamiroquai. Wow. The start of Roundabout really, <laughs> I think, I can't, I haven't got the exact oh, time yeah, code, yeah, yeah, but yeah. I think it was somewhere in the first three minutes of Roundabout, I heard, I thought this could be funky Jamiroquai. Well, that, you know what, that bass line is quite funky. That's what I'm it's saying. Busy as fuck. I just so found it really interesting that if you're going to compare, when we did ELP, we were talking about, oh, their live album where they only did classic classical music. I just like that with Yes, you get a bit of everything. Yeah. You get the funk. What song was it here I put? Uh, distorted uh, South Side of the Sky from the Fragile album. Had some really hard rock riffs in there. Yeah. You got your hard rock, you got your funk, you got the prog, you got the classical elements, you got the yeah. acoustic stuff. Yeah. This, to me, is as good of a definition as a prog band as I've ever heard. Because they put everything in. Well, that's why they're so loved and hated. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, they, they've done everything. They've been around. The, for the last probably 20 years, they've been like recycling the old sound every now and then, being more proggy. Right. And uh, John Anderson left the band and got a new singer. They got, like, it's, it's, it's too much going on for the last uh, uh, few years. But I think if you understand where they came from and all the way to the point they became a pop band and mm-hmm. they went back to prog music. There's one point in, in the band's history which I think it's phenomenal. 1991, they recorded an album called Union. None of them liked the album, <laughs> uh, but that's not the point. Yeah. The point is they were split into two bands. So after the pop uh, 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 phase of the band, um, there was a band formed because John Anderson left after that and okay. they and he joined Rick Wakeman again. So the band was called Anderson, Bruford, Wakeman, and Howard. And they had Tommy <laughs> Levin from King Crimson on the bass. Oh, wow. What a band. Yeah. That's uh, a long band name, though. Yeah, it's an awful name. So, but That's were, worse than Crosby, Stills, Nash and Young, isn't exactly, it? Exactly. <laughs> but they didn't want... They were doing that, like, and all the adverts for the tour, like, performing the music of Yes, yeah. whatever. So they wanted to promote that as a version of Yes. They couldn't use the name. So they have you have that band, and on the other side, you had Alan White, uh, Chris Squire, uh, Trevor Rabin, uh, Tony Kay. Is this so what you said at the start of the episode so you, two acts? Yeah, so you have two acts together performing the music of... Yes, in 1991 they came together and did a union tour Ooh. as an eight-piece band. Wow. Two keyboard players, two drummers, uh, two guitar players, and one bass, one vocals. That's nice so, that they come together, isn't it? And that, yes. In that sense. Well, at that point in time, we have every single member of Yes apart from... Uh, Jeff Donner's, um, what's his name, uh, Trevor Horn, and Pat Morass. Okay. So, apart from three guys, every, and Peter Banks, of course, yeah. Apart from four guys, you have everyone who have, has ever played in the band until that point. There's a lot of people, so eight people. And they've performed a, 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 a whole tour in America with a circular stage that would Oh, make, brilliant, in the round. Yeah, yeah that's fantastic. Perfect. And... It's just for me the live versions of those songs are great. I totally recommend the album. I totally recommend the documentary Years Years, which was recorded at that time, telling the story to that moment. Uh, so yeah, uh, the Brilliant. most relevant recent facts is in 2015, Chris Squire passed away, and um, Alan White passed away yesterday. Yes, and Alan White. So they probably grooving in heaven now. So uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I'd like to dedicate this show to them, to Chris will, yeah. and Alan White. Okay. Should yeah. we end with a segment? Yeah. Yeah, excellent. Well, just to finish off this episode, Felipe is going to give us 
his top five. Felipe's going to give us his top five songs and his top three albums. So take oh, it away, bro. Okay, top five songs. These will all be in the playlist as usual. Yeah, top five songs going for the one. Again, for the beautiful vocal harmonies, great drumming. It's a fantastic track. Uh, number four would be Your Snow's Grace. Nice. Lovely. It's got everything. Uh, number three, Close to the Edge. Yeah, I love that one. Yeah. <laughs> it's so good. Second, And You and I. Nice. It's one of the most beautiful love songs ever written in Sprague. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, number one for me, Heart of the Sunrise. Yeah, that's the last song on the Fragile album. Fragile, yeah. Yeah, lovely. It's, the lovely last, song. Yeah, it's just a masterpiece. Everyone should listen to it. It's the one with no solos, all composition, and every instrument tells a story. That song is just beautiful. Fantastic. Top three albums for you guys. The Yes album would be my number three. Going for the one with my number two, probably not an obvious choice, and most CS fans would disagree with me. Some people don't like the album. I love it. I think it's a really cool album. And number one for me is, you know, the classic Close to the Edge. Three songs, you don't need more than that. Mm. They are just exactly. phenomenal if pieces you put, of music. Yeah, I don't think we need, we've said enough, but if you if you put the time and effort and dedication into a song, it's about quality, not quantity. Yeah, you don't need ten songs in an album if you can do as well as you do with three, isn't yeah, it? Exactly. Anyway, right, man. Thank you so much because obviously, uh, you know, the, I'm, listeners, I'm sure you're familiar now that I'm normally the one that comes with all the information and this and that. But Felipe's really taken sort of a hold of this episode because he loves Yes. I don't know much about them, and it's been really amazing, man. So thank you for guiding us through the the career of Yes because yeah. what a fantastic band. And I think the thing that's left that stuck with me most of all from this episode is the fact. Is the quote you said that John Anderson, yes, as an entity, are a bus heading in a direction. Yeah. And through the years, people were helping the bus. They were on the bus, getting it to its destination. And some people thought, well, do you know, I've been on the bus for a while and it's not, it's not right anymore. They've hopped off. They've come back on. Yeah. Others have got off and never got back on. It's just fantastic. Isn't and and uh, what I, sorry, last thing yeah. is that, yes, that that bus is still going. Still going. And that's what's cool. And I hope Rick Wakeman's right. And after they're all dead and buried, they still They'll have us. Have, yeah. Uh, yeah, we still have Yes performing for people because the music is amazing. And maybe they are one of the few rock bands where the music is actually uh, uh, bigger, bigger than, than the, the musicians. Yeah. No matter how self-indulgent they are. They and that's, <laughs> that's important with Prog. You're right, yeah. Final question to you. Why are Yes so important to rock and roll? Uh, for constantly moving forward in terms of their sound. Never accepting to play the same thing in the same album. And for keeping an identity over so many lineup changes. Yeah. That's, that's it. And uh, again, that's it because the music is bigger than the musicians Fantastic. and I think they did that really well over the course of their career so yeah hands off to you yes man. beautifully said as we said twice before this episode is for Chris Squire and Alan White so may they both rest in peace thank you very much for joining us again guys um, another great episode again thank you Felipe for your efforts man that was really interesting um, we're doing the normal thing now as you know you're probably used to it find us on the internet 
like, subscribe, share, all that stuff. But we're on the internet. Where? Where about? www.google.com. <laughs> oh, right. So <laughs> and you good. search from there, yeah. Okay, long live Rambo yeah. podcast. That's the one. We are on the internet. Excellent. Thank you very much, guys. Hope you had a good episode. Thank you, and uh, keep on rocking everywhere. And as usual, long live rock and roll. <laughs>